Amen. So much powerful truth in that song. Amen. Man, I love acknowledging all that God is in our lives. And uh, sometimes we go through the course of a day or a week, and we may not actually stop and just worship him. And, man, what an amazing God he is. And we are privileged to worship him this morning. Uh, it is an honor to worship him. Uh, I pray that you have not come here today uh, apathetic or feeling as though somehow God just should be thankful you're here and your presence is good enough for him. I pray you've come this morning to just pour out all of your worship and all of your heart to him and to lift him up uh, because he is the name above every name. Uh, he is the name of salvation. He is the name of freedom. And uh, man, what a great song. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to get to just a couple of verses in just a moment. It's not going to be our text per se, but I wanted to start here this morning as we continue our series on what is worship and um, man, I pray that you worshiped this morning already, and I, I appreciate what Greg said in his prayer, uh, that worship doesn't stop when the music stops. Um, worship transcends music. Worship transcends uh, specials. Uh, worship is our heart expressing all that God is and acknowledging all that we are uh, in light of all who God is. And so, uh, man, as we go to him in worship this morning, I pray that you are continuing to worship him and we'll continue to worship him as we read his word together in just a few moments. Um, I am kind of curious, and I hope that uh, this is true of you. Now that we're a couple weeks into this series, uh, I'm curious if your idea of worship has changed. If you would define worship today differently than you would have a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you're thinking differently about worship today than maybe you thought about it a few weeks ago. Maybe you're affirmed in some things you believed about worship that the last couple of weeks have kind of affirmed those things that you were already kind of thinking about what is worship. And if you've missed the last couple of weeks, uh, you can access those sermons on the website. You can get those on the app. Uh, you can get them in CD form if you'd like by signing up at the Welcome Center. Uh, we would love to get that in your hands to help you to grow in worship. But over the last two weeks, we have discovered that true worship, biblical worship, is done in spirit and in truth. We need the Holy Spirit and the truth of Christ's revelation to worship him. We do this by worshiping him in awe and surrender. As I pray that this morning already you have worshiped him in awe and surrender. I mean, when you think about who God is, and this these beautiful songs we've already heard, and you think of that old rugged cross, I don't know how you can have a response to the old rugged cross other than just sheer awe and surrender. I mean, when you realize that Christ gave up everything for you, died on that sinner's cross so that you could have an opportunity to have your sins forgiven and spend eternity with him in heaven, if you're not in awe of that, then you have allowed your heart to get calloused and cold and indifferent. And it should just break us to our core that we would just fall on our face, face down before the Almighty God and just say, God, I am not worthy of you, but I am so thankful that you extended grace to me. I am so in awe of you. We also discovered that true worship is unified worship. That we are one body in Christ, no matter our gender, social status, or ethnicity. We are one in Christ. There is so much power and freedom in realizing that truth, and there is power in worshiping as the church when we are one. It's in realizing that all of humanity is different and unique, some more different and unique than others, we're not going to name names. You know people who are just a little more unique 
than others, and we'll leave it there. All of humanity is different. But it's in realizing humanity is different and unique, not forgetting those differences, that we are able to worship the God of all creation. What would that type of church worship look like? What would it look like if a church came together and said, you know what, I don't care about your background. I don't care about your ethnicity. I don't have any prejudice or judgmental views against you. Man, you are in the body of Christ. We are worshiping together because we are one church. And we're going to do that in spirit and in truth in all and surrender and just pour out before him all that we are. I think we see a little bit of a glimpse of that in Ephesians chapter 5. And again, this isn't our text for the message, we'll kind of be explaining what we're doing in a little bit here. We're going to go over to Psalms in just a little bit here and look at a lot of verses from the Psalms. But in Ephesians chapter 5, I just wanted to start here because I think it's just so powerful when you look at verse 18. What does it look like to worship as one church? In spirit and in truth, in awe and surrender. Look at verse 18. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, quick side note here. I know some of you maybe grew up in a different denomination where maybe you were taught some things about this passage, and, and I'm not here to unpack all of that and get into all the theological implications of this verse, but I would love to have a conversation with you. If, if what I say in a minute sits weird with you or you're like, I don't know, I wasn't taught that where I grew up or the church I grew up in, please don't just write it off. Let's have a conversation. Email me, text me, call me, stop by the office, and I would love to talk about what this verse is talking about and our understanding as a church of what this verse means. You see, some think this means that, that we need to be baptized in the Spirit over and over again or have his infilling over and over again, that without that we lose the Spirit of God. That is not what Paul is saying here. In fact, in the book of Acts, we read that when somebody receives Christ, the Spirit is given to them in that very moment, that we are indwelt with the presence of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That is, that is forever. That is until we stand before him as a ransom to creation. That when I receive Christ, he gives me his spirit. Romans 8 says, we have the spirit of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And if you don't have his spirit, you are none of his, the Bible says. So I don't have to beg God for salvation and then beg him for his Holy Spirit and pray that he's gracious enough to me to do a second work of grace in my life. It's in receiving Christ and falling on my face that he graciously equips me and fills me with his spirit. So what is Paul saying here then? This, in the original language, means to be filled continuously What this is saying is that at salvation, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. But if we're honest, in our Christian walk, we don't really give all of the Holy Spirit all of us, do we? We hold back a little bit. We kind of give them a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but we want to keep a little bit back for ourselves. And what Paul's saying is saying, listen, you need to let the Spirit of God control you as the Spirit of God fills you. And you need to be led by the Spirit. In the same way, if you were to get drunk with wine, you would lose the ability to control your reactions or your actions to what's going on around you. In the same way, the Spirit of God wants control of us, and we need to be surrendered and submitted to him. And it's realizing in Christ I have his Spirit that I can say, Lord, would you please fill me with your Spirit today? Meaning, Lord, I want you to take control of my day. I want you to take control of my schedule. I want you to take control of my tongue. I want you to take control of my mind and fill me with right thoughts. That's what Paul's saying here. And he's saying this is part of church worship. This is part of what it is to be the church. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus here, and he's saying, listen, this is what worship should look like. This is what your lives as followers of Christ should look like. When he says, when you're allowing the Spirit to fill you, meaning you're giving over control, verse 19 says, speaking to yourselves. Most translations translate that speaking to one another. It's saying speaking to the church, sharing with the church psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Man, isn't it beautiful that the spectrum of worship that God receives is great. It is massive. I don't know why we've done it in church history where we've put him in this box of God only receives this type of worship and this type of musical style and this type of inflection and this type of melody and these type of notes. Like how limiting is that to all that God has given us in music? Paul says, man, psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs just elevate the name of Christ. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So where does worship really start? It doesn't start with the music. Where does it start? It starts in our hearts. So we're just expressing to each other in corporate worship. It says giving thanks. Isn't it amazing that thanking God is part of worship? Man, to praise him means to thank him for all that he's done. He says for all things unto God. Can you really thank him for all things? Man, let's be real here. And I'm so thankful again for the bishops and their honesty. Um, I, I was going to make Kathy speak, but then I thought I didn't want to see that turn into a fight up here. And, you know, I just whatever Kathy wants to do, Kathy can do. So, and then Connie, I just glad we got her on the stage. Like, I was like, she's like, I am not moving out of this chair. But let me ask, I mean, let me just be honest here. If I was to ask, and I had a chance to sit with the bishops and, and the Garcias here a couple of months ago in their living room and just, man, just pray with them as all this stuff was unfolding and all this craziness was coming to a head. And I remember just hearing the great, amazing peace that they had. There was concern, sure. There was some worry and some fears. But more than that, they said, man, we just want to believe God is in control of this thing. But let's be honest. I mean, if they were real, and he even said it, man, how can you thank God for all things? And I think they wanted to thank God for this. But I think there was moments of weakness where they said, man, my spirit wants to thank God, but my flesh is saying, God, why me? Why now? But isn't it amazing that part of worship is thanking God for all things? And he says, unto God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all to his glory. And then he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So uh, apparently part of worship is, is starting in our hearts, expressing through all forms of music and singing and praise, thanking him for all things, and then actually submitting to one another. That means that it's not about me and the church. It's not about you. It's about us. And it means that, man, when my brother or sister needs something that I can provide for them or service them in some way or help them or even go out of my way, is it really out of my way? I mean, if we're being honest, but I can come alongside and just serve and submit and surrender and say, God, well, how can I serve the church today? Man, I don't want to, I'm not going to name names again, but if you're on Facebook, you already know who it is, at least some of them involved. But check out, now, this is only for the ladies. Okay, so men don't, like, I don't want to have the police called and have Bill Osborne show up here because you're taking my advice too literal here. But to the ladies or to any men that are here that are here after everyone else leaves, and I will show you, um, the ladies' bathroom, it's getting remodeled, getting repainted and all this stuff. Um, someone came up this week and just volunteered their time just because just they wanted to help out. I just wanted to paint the bathroom and just kind of freshen it up a little bit. You might think, oh, that's not that big of a deal. That's a huge deal. Mostly because I'm sure the ladies are like, thank you, because that color was questionable. No, 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 I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. It could be white walls for all I care. But, but they just said, you know what, man, can we just serve the church this way? We've got the time, and, and we want to do it, and I'm kind of good at this, and so I, can I use my talents this way? And, and that's what it means to submit to one another. 
It means that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us. And how can we elevate each other? And by the way, don't take it for granted that the next verse, we're not going to get into it, but the next verse begins a passage about the family, about husbands and wives and fathers and parents and all these things. And it isn't it amazing that Paul makes the connection from our worship as a church to our leadership in the family, to our dynamic as a family, as a Christian family. And isn't it interesting that worship in the church, with the church, to the church, is connected directly to our personal lives? They're not seen as two separate things, but they just flow one to another. And it's only when we're doing these things in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, that we could even possibly hope to do what 22 through the rest of the book talk about. Man, what would worship look like if we worshiped as one, as one? Not focused on what I get out of it, but focused on I can serve someone else and honor Christ in all of this, making melody with my heart. I think it looks like this. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. And I don't know how long we're going to go, how far we're going to get. Um, but I want to start kind of a two-week message in a series, okay? So we're doing what is worship. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to break the message in half. I already knew we probably wouldn't get through all of them. But this morning, we're going to be looking at seven words on worship found in the Bible. Seven words on worship found in the Bible. Specifically, these words are the words for our English word, praise, found in the Psalms of the Old Testament. In all of these verses, we read the same English word, praise, but it's when we dive into the original language that we will see each one come to life and show us a deeper understanding of how praise looks, sounds, and feels for the true worshiper. But before we even dive into these seven words on worship, and that's why I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up, it's two weaker. Some of you hear seven words, and if you've been in church for a long period of time, how many points is that? Seven. Usually we do three, and it's a 50-minute sermon. So you're going, three is 50, seven is, hmm. Let me, let me uh, pray about this one. I might have to leave early for sickness, okay? I'm not feeling good at 11.52. I got to go, okay? So that's why I'm giving you a heads up. We're, we're not going to do all seven in one week, okay? But I want to kind of give you a little bit of another heads up, I guess, in a way. Because I think we're tempted to do something like this when we hear these kind of things. Before we dive into these seven words on worship, I want to make something abundantly clear. These various terms and expressions of worship are not a list we must fulfill. What I mean is we don't come to worship purposely thinking, have I checked this box of worship expression or that box of worship expression today? We hear things like this, and we think, oh, man, all those different ways that people worship in the Old Testament, and i got to go to church. i got to do every one of those and do them twice if I want to be a good Christian. If anything, these variances in these words shows us that God is pleased when we worship him in spirit and in truth with the expression that best suits where we are. So the goal of this message and next week's message is not to give you a law to must fulfill, but a freedom to express as the Spirit leads. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to pray just real quick. And I want to ask that God would just speak to our hearts as we worship him and we lift him up. And so would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you today. And I cannot even express how great the worship has been to this point. Just hearing all the beautiful singing and songs and Lord, even stopping during some of the congregational singing and just being still and silent before you and just listening to your church sing. 
listening to your people raise up their voices and elevate the name of Christ, which is above every other name. There is so much power when your church decides to sing above their circumstance, to sing above their situation, and to worship a God that is over all of it. And so I pray that this morning, Lord, I I pray that this morning is the start, let me say it that way, of something amazing as we worship you. That we would not turn it off when we say amen in about a half hour and shut it down and go to our day and just get back to normal. But that our worship would express our hearts to you, not just corporately here together, which there is so much power here. Lord, I genuinely am so excited every single week to gather with your people. And it just breaks my heart when I know so many Christians in this country are negating and neglecting time with the church family. It doesn't, Lord, I try, I, I understand, I guess, but Lord, it just breaks my heart when people of your name are missing out on the experience and the joys and the blessing of being together as the body of Christ. Lord, it's times like these when I hear people's voices in my head say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yes, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but man, how in the world do we fulfill Ephesians 5.21 if we're not gathering together to submit ourselves to one another? How can I submit myself to one another when I'm not with one another? I don't even go I forsake the assembling of ourselves together, so how can I edify each other in love? So corporate worship is so vital to our Christian lives and apparently to our personal lives. But I pray that we would not elevate worship to just taking place here, but that it would carry with us through the week. That every day, whether in our own personal quiet time, prayer time, devotional time in the morning, at night, in the middle of the day, at work, on lunch, wherever and however that we would elevate you, And so, Father, we want to hear from you today. I got nothing for these people, Lord. I have nothing to tell them other than what you want to tell them. And so I pray that you would speak through the message. And we need you, Lord. Our world needs you. And so we're going to thank you for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that being said, and now that you're not fearful, I'm going to try to be up here for two hours. Somebody actually made a comment. I won't name names. I won't give you their initials. Let me say it that way. But Mike Haynes went back to TJ and said, thank you so much for making sure you set the clock back there in the sound booth. Because I would not want Pastor John to think he had an extra hour to preach. (laughs) Now, I will give him this, though. I'll give him this. He did say it right in front of me. So, I mean, it's all good. I mean, it's not like he said it behind my back. He's like, I'll tell you right now. I don't even care. (laughs) Praise God. So thankful for godly men who love the Lord. And I'm pretty, he ended it by saying something about we should be like Jesus. So it was a great moment. We had a good time. It was a great, we fellowshiped over the spirit. It was wonderful. Uh, we broke bread. It was great. So I want to look at these seven words together. And so here's what we're going to do. We're really just going to take them one by one. And uh, my goal was four this morning. If we don't get through all four, that's fine. Uh, we'll just be here longer next week. So go to the book of Psalms. I want to start in Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And all of, the past, all of these words are going to be found in the book of Psalms for our study the next two weeks. And so when we read, what I'll do is I'll read the verse. I will give you the Hebrew word. I will spell it for you because I'm hoping you guys are taking notes. I'd love for this to be something that helps you to grow in your own personal worship. And then I'll kind of tell you as we're reading the verse 
how that word is used. And so we'll kind of work through this little by little here and, and go through this. And so the first word uh, that we're going to look at, the first word on worship, and this is not in any kind of order per se, meaning one is more important than another. Uh, just the first one we're going to come to is found in Psalm 67, 3. 67, 3. It says, Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Now in our English, we just read the word praise. And it may not mean a lot to us. We may think different things. And if I asked you, I said, okay, when you think about that verse, in verse 3, it says, let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. I don't know what comes to your mind. I don't know what what images, what what emotions, what thoughts, what memories. Um, One of the things I always remember about worship, and this is just something that maybe this is true of you when I was first saved at the old building. And I remember going to church doing communion. And after every communion, we sang victory in Jesus. Uh, it, and we used to do communion once a month uh, at, the old, at the old church. And we stopped doing it once a month because it seemed like people were kind of just getting in the, you know, the rut. Well, it's the, I don't remember, I think it was the first Sunday we did communion. Maybe the second Sunday was fellowship or something like that. It was one of the, flip it around maybe. And it just got to be where, man, it was like, okay, well, it's the first Sunday of the month. We do communion again. And it just got to be kind of mundane. And so the pastor at the time said, we're going to kind of, break this monotony. We're going to do it as the Spirit leads. And usually we try to do it around holidays that connect to the communion where it fits. Uh, we will do communion uh, at Good Friday service, and so that'll be kind of a unique way of doing communion. But I remember standing there and just joining hands with people across this little auditorium, maybe, I don't know, maybe 100 people, 80 people, and they were packed in there. But it was this old school, like little, if you know events of the old building, uh, very traditional church, wooden pews, stained glass windows, and we'd join hands. And just with our voices, we'd sing victory in Jesus. And it was a powerful moment for me. And so when I read things like just let us praise him, I don't know why, but things like that come back to my mind. It's those kind of memories that I just get this peace and this comfort just come over me. Maybe you have a different experience. Maybe somebody that influenced you in some way, you remember them when you read the word praise here. And so I'm not trying to undo any of that. I just want to give you a deeper meaning to what this word praise means. So in the Hebrew, the first word we're going to look at for the word praise here is the word yada. Yada. Y-A-D-A-H. Yada. This Hebrew word means, and this is a long definition, but it gives you an idea of what we're talking about here. To revere or worship with extended hands. To hold out the hands. To shoot or cast a stone. Now that doesn't mean in worship you can throw stones at me. That's not what it's talking about. The idea here is in the original Hebrew, what they would mean is in the same way they would cast out their hands to throw a stone, in the same way they're casting out their hands to worship God. They're using the same word that was already kind of understood in culture and tying it into this idea of praising him and worshiping him. When we worship, we can raise our hands to the heavens and declare he is worthy. Amen? But I know, if we're being honest, this is tough for some of us to even consider, depending on how we were raised. Raising your hands in worship isn't comfortable for you. It's not something you've ever really done. And again, this is why I must express to you, this is in no way saying that if you don't raise your hands in worship, that somehow you're not worshiping. That is not at all what this point is. The point is, though, that here apparently in the Psalms, one of the ways that they expressed praise to God was the lifting of hands, was the raising of hands. Just out of curiosity, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I I think there will be more often than not. How many of you are not comfortable raising your hands in church? Raise your hand. Not comfortable raising your hands in church. Okay. All right. Just checking. 
Okay. Let's move on. Um, you had to know it was coming. Like, you're sitting there, you're like, he's going to ask us to raise our hands. In all honesty, I love what one author said about this idea. As we, and listen, here's what I want you to do too. While, yes, I'm saying you don't have to do this to worship, I pray that you would at least begin to consider the idea that, okay, can I do this in worship? Do you see the difference? It's not have to, do I have to do this in worship, but can I do this in worship? And maybe it'd go this far. When you see somebody raise their hands in church, what do you think about that? Do you think, oh, they're just being charismatic? Oh, they're just being showy. Oh, they just want people to look at them. Man, apparently, the psalmist here writes and says, let the people yada, praise thee, O God. Let all the people yada thee. All people raising their hands and saying, God, we are just so in awe of you. One author said it this way. Is there any more natural expression of excitement, wonder, or all than raising your hands. Whether it's the excitement that comes when your favorite sports team scores a goal, this author is from Australia, so obviously he's thinking soccer. You can put whatever you want there. A goal, a touchdown, a home run, whatever. Whether it's the excitement that comes from your favorite sports team scoring a goal, the joy of receiving an unexpected promotion, or the elation that comes with a declaration of a victory in a battle, Aren't we prone to expressing enthusiasm with upshot hands? In the Psalms, there was an overwhelming feeling of just reaching out their hands to God in victory. The word is used 111 times in Scripture. This is also a form of praise that transcends culture or generations. Psalm 44.8 says, They will praise, yada, your name forever. This is not, well, they raised their hands in the Old Testament, but that's not really for us today. Man, the psalmist seems to say they are going to worship this way forever. And so again, just one way we see, one word on worship is this word yada, which means to raise your hands, to hold out your hands, to shout and to worship through upraised hands. The second word I want to look at, if you're taking notes today, is found in Psalm 149, 149. Verse 3. Psalm 149 and verse 3. Somehow I ended up in Proverbs. Okay, Psalm 149 and verse 3. It says here, Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. This word here in Psalm 149.3, when it says, let them praise his name. This is the, the word halal, halal, H-A-L-A-H, H-A-L-A-H. Now, already that should bring another word to your mind, but the definition means this, to boost, or I'm sorry, to boost, to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate. I love this part of the definition, to be clamorously foolish. That's, that's the definition of the word, to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. This word is an amazing expression of the freedom that we have in worship. This is the root for our word, hallelujah. We just sang that word. 
We just sang the words, hallelujah, Christ lives in me. And hallelujah, my sins are forgiven. And some of us sing it like, hallelujah, my sins are forgiven. Mm. We have to be, you know, stoic, professional. Man, when I read this passage in Psalms, he says, let them praise him in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. And it's saying, let everything just praise the Lord. And we praise him in celebration to boast in him. What does Paul say about boasting in the cross? He says, man, I will boast in nothing but the cross. To rave about him. To tell everyone we can about him. The idea here is that when we worship, it is to be a celebration. Worship in the Jewish mind in the Old Testament is more like a wedding celebration than a funeral. It means it is okay to let go of that rigidness in worship and just allow yourself to enjoy the presence of our king, even if others may think you're foolish. This means that when you feel overwhelmed to worship him at your job site or on lunch, you're reading a scripture and God begins to speak to you through his Holy Spirit and you're like, man, I never noticed that verse before say that way. And God illuminates your mind to that truth and you begin to just praise him. Maybe with upshot hands, maybe with just silent prayer, maybe with whatever expression fills you in that moment and your coworkers are like, what is wrong with you? You just stop and say, you know what, man, I'm just so thankful to celebrate all that Christ is for me. And you know what? They may think you're foolish. But at the end of the day, man, I, I will happily be his fool. I will happily look foolish for anything that he asks of me. In fact, the Psalms end with this idea in Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise halal the Lord. Let everything that has breath halal praise the Lord. Now, if we're being honest, I know what you're thinking. We all know that sometimes Christians are tempted to express their worship more to impress the church than to worship God. We would be foolish or even naive to think that this does not happen in worship all over our country. For them, it's more of a show. It's more about what it looks like. But just because some worship for that reason, why would you allow that to rob you and us of celebrating our Savior like fun-loving, exciting, excited children of God? I mean, you ever thought about worship being just a celebration of your Father in heaven? Just being so thankful to be with him and to be in his presence. And so again, it's not about what it looks like. It's about just praising him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. To, to boast in all that God is. The third word I want to look at this morning as we continue through this list of seven is found in Psalm 144 and verse 9. Just go over a couple pages. Psalm 144 and verse 9. It says this in Psalm 144 and verse 9. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. Praises unto thee. This word here is zamer. Zamer. Z-A-M-A-R. Zamer. It means to make music, 
to celebrate in song and music, to play a musical instrument, literally translates to strike with the fingers. So this is like Jeff's verse right here, and Laura's verse is they're just like striking with the fingers, right? Man, this idea here is this idea of worshiping in music. It appears in the scriptures 41 times, and it doesn't matter what instrument is being used. It is the heart behind the music, a heart of worship that drives this idea of praise. Music and worship have been connected from the beginning. From victory songs after God's great deliverances, to the musicians in the temple worshiping in song, to the point where the priests could not even minister because the presence of God was so thick, they merely fell before his presence. Music truly is so powerful. In listening to music or to expressing it with our words or singing our songs, it is powerful in softening our hearts, expressing our emotions, and preparing us for the Spirit's leading. I mean, I don't know about you, but there is nothing better than just worshiping God to music. And for some, maybe it's not even music with words to it. Maybe it's just melodies or, or just instrumentation. I've told people before that if I could have the church do the worship that I love the most, and I love our worship, by the way, but if we did the worship style that I prefer the most, that I worship to the most, that I enjoy the most, it would be completely a cappella. And not because anyone needs to hear my voice without the covering of music. <laughs> but because I just, there's something about hearing the people of God just praise him. And I love our band. I love all the music, and it's great. I'm not saying we're going to do that, but I'm just saying, to me, that's, that's where I feel the most connected to the church worship. But, man, sometimes it's just driving in the car and listening to a worship song or, or yesterday doing dishes and just having my phone playing some worship music in the background. It's just, it's just everything encompassing our lives and just surrounding it with praise to him. Music is literally so powerful. And I believe music touches a part in us that nothing else can touch. I think music does something when it helps us remember things. They'll, they'll tell you that if you can put it to music, you can remember it much easier. This is why some of you that grew up in the 60s and 70s that listened to music that was, let's say, questionable. If that song came on today after 20, 30 years of not hearing it, you would know the words. Well, how in the world is that possible? Because when it's put to music, somehow it just stays with us. Doesn't music have a way of calming us as well at times? Music has a way of exciting us at times. Perfect example, if you're listening to a fast song and you're driving in your car, you might push that gas just a little bit more. Okay? It's a, it has a way of touching us. Read in the Old Testament about all the ways that music was influencing over leaders and individuals. And isn't it saddening today to see that something that should be engaging us in deeper connection with God, drawing such divisions in the body of Christ, and isn't it foolishness that something that was a gift from God, that God said, I want you to express your love to me through music and song and hymns and spiritual songs, and the churches are fighting over what instruments are allowed and which ones are not allowed, and that doesn't sound right, and I don't think that's appropriate for a church, and it's just this silliness. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some things that I know of churches that have done in our, our community or even in our country that I do not believe fits in that confines. I know of churches that will use secular songs in their worship that has no influence of Christ just because it touches something in a popular song and it draws people in apparently. So then when somebody's sitting in the audience and they hear that song they heard on the radio, that they'll connect and go, oh, I know that song. 
Now, to me, I'm, that's, that's not worship to me. What I'm saying is, man, if it's a song that has a guitar and drums or a song that has no instrumentation, whatever, as long as Christ is the central focus of that music, the content of that song is praising him and honoring him, the heart of the worshipers are worshiping him through the music. I've told you guys before, and it will always be this way. The minute somebody wants to be a part of our praise team and thinks it's about them performing on a stage, they will no longer be a part of our praise team. Because it is not about that. And I am so thankful that our worship team that comes up here week in and week out, that practices diligently through the week and even on Sunday evenings, that will come and sacrifice time. Man, their heart is, this is not about us. This is about him. And that's key in worship. A traditional hymn, a modern praise song, merely instruments playing a wonderful melody, all can reflect the great God of all creation. When you sing together in a little bit, we're going to close an invitation in just a few moments, but when you sing together in just a little bit here, I want you to do something. I want you to sing as you never have before. If, if Christ was right before you, how would you sing if Christ was before you right now? How would you sing if you were at his throne and you saw the scars on his hands and his feet and his side? And you knew he was persecuted and crucified for you. How would you sing worship to him? Would you sing reserved and, and reflective of just how you sound to other people? Or would you say, you know, I don't care what the person next to me thinks. Man, I'm praising my Savior. One more. I think we have time for one more and then we'll close. Psalm 56. Go over to Psalm 56. Psalm 56 and verse 11. Psalm 56 and verse 11. Listen to what the psalmist writes here. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. This word praises here is the word toda, not like tada, but toda, okay? T O W D A H, T O W D A H. This word means thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise. Another way to say the translation or the definition of this word would be thanksgiving for things not yet received. It also gives the implication of a choir of worshipers. Is there any greater way to worship our God than by thanking him for the blessings that have not even yet happened? Man, could you imagine your worship if you started thanking God for the things that didn't even happen yet? And you just praised him because you knew he was good and you knew he was there for you? This is what David cries out with in Psalm 56. He is captured by the enemy and facing an unknown future. And yet he praised the Lord from the promise of deliverance he'd not yet received. This reminds me of all the way in the New Testament, we see Paul and Barnabas in Acts 16 praising the Lord sitting in a jail cell, beaten and tormented, thrown in the deepest part of the prison, wounds exposed, bleeding profusely, sitting chained with their feet to a floor. And at midnight, it says, they just praised him. And they sang songs to him, and they worshipped him. 
And what did that worship do to the rest of the inmates in the prison? And it stirred something in them. It stirred a longing in them. And why in the world are these two guys just excited to be in prison and praising God? Look at where they are. But there's a thing about God's people. We have a way of understanding that it doesn't matter where we are. We know who our God is. And we know he is greater. And even when he doesn't do what we want him to do, because, I don't know, maybe he's God and we're not, and we should stop demanding things of God and just thank him for being who he is. Let him do what he's going to do and then praise him because he knows what is good. David cries out. When unforeseen circumstances surround you, when you are not sure of what will happen next, you can have faith and worship because you can trust that your God will never forsake you. Not only will he not forsake you, he is your strength. David writes in Psalm 20 in verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know what he's saying? You can trust in all the physical strength and might and force you want and all the things you see, but I trust in something greater. I trust in the name of the Lord our God. To worship, as he says here, this word todah means to praise him for things not yet received. Could you imagine being a church, a choir of worshipers, that collectively we praise him, not for just what he has done, but in anticipation of what he's going to do. I hope discovering that we can worship him in these different ways opens your eyes to the freedom that comes in worshiping in spirit and in truth. Worship is not forced or rigid. It is a free expression to your Savior. So as we sing... Will you lift up? Will you thank him for not only what he has done, but what he will do? Even if others think you are a fool, I want us to lift our hands, but more importantly, I want us to lift our hearts to him in praise. And would you bow with me as we prepare for just a short invitation this morning as, as the band comes to lead us in a song? Father, we thank you not just for what you have done, which, Lord, the list of what you have done is so great. We could spend countless hours thanking you for that alone. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the cross and for the grave and for the resurrection. We thank you for the peace and the joy and the love and the fulfillment you give us through the work of your Holy Spirit. The encouragement, the strength you give us through your word. And so, Lord, it's in all these things we praise you, but also, Lord, we praise you as a church for what you're going to do. And we're not going to be so naive as to put expectations on what you're going to do, meaning you're going to work in this way and this way and this way. Lord, we're going to ask things of you, yes, but at the end of the day, we're going to know that it's not our will that is going to be done, it's your will. And so we pray things that we believe in accordance with your will. We pray things that we believe aligns with your word that would fall in line with your character as you've revealed it to us. We pray for the lost to come to know Christ because we believe that's the cry of your heart. We pray that we would grow in the knowledge of the things of Christ and the grace that you offer to us. But Lord, more than that, we pray that you would shape us and mold us as the clay that sits on that wheel, that you would create in us a new heart, that you would show us your will for us, fill us with your spirit, not for any other reason than that we would just draw closer to you 
And so, Lord, as we come this morning to worship, as we've worshiped already, we pray that we would take these last few moments and we would lift up the name of Christ, but we would lift up our hearts as well. Lay them out bare and surrendered in awe. In whatever way we express our worship this morning, I thank you for the various types of worship you receive. Because really, Lord, all that matters is that we're worshiping as true worshipers in spirit and in truth. And in understanding that reality, your Holy Spirit in filling us and dwelling us and the knowledge of Christ saving us, allowing us to worship you in whatever way that we are able to. For the Lord, I know this is a confusing topic for some. And I pray your great wisdom and discernment in all these things. That we would not feel forced to do this or that in worship, but that we would feel free to move in an expression of worship as you lead. May it never be a law to fulfill, but a freedom that is received. Now again, Lord, this is all for you, and so may you be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As these guys lead us in a song of invitation, would you come and pray, bend a knee, maybe worship there where you are, spend some time with him, respond to him. Worship him this morning for being all that he is. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, God, thank you for this or this that you've done. Thank you for this that you're going to do. Or maybe you want to praise him where you are. Would you just feel free to express your worship in this morning as we elevate the name of Christ and as we worship him.